The following program is rated M16+. Parental guidance recommended. Oh, and welcome to Soundbites. <laughs> a little bit different for us, having to yeah. play a warning like that. Yeah, yeah. But it is because some of the content in tonight's show may be disturbing. Yeah, it could um, be. And it's not past seven o'clock, so no. <laughs> <laughs> just listen to me is disturbing. Welcome to another episode of Soundbites. We are simulcast on DRM1 and DRM1 United tonight because technically the technology I need is in this studio, not the other studio. So tonight we are concentrating on history, like we normally do, something in yeah. history. But we've got some... Uh, one small step for man. We've yeah. got some beep, 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 beeps. We've got some aliens, maybe. <laughs> no <laughs> aliens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are talking about the space race. Yeah, the original space race. So that's what's uh, um, started the whole thing off back in the uh, uh, well, at the end of the Second World War. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows their history. Um, Basically, the two main powers that... Uh, why are you laughing? <laughs> you said everyone knows their history. No, not me. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I failed history. <laughs> well, that's all right. That's what Soundbites is all about. Okay. It's an infotainment show. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about space now. Um, the, the, sorry, I've lost it already. The question I have before we jump into space is... Okay. There must have been a... a World War Two had rockets. Yes, the Germans had the uh, the V two rockets. Now, how did this space race start? Because my thinking is, you've just finished war, you've got all those rocket technology people. Surely there was a kidnapping that happened to get them. Not so much a kidnapping, but a lot of uh, shall we say forgiveness um, for the scientists. So, provided that they would go over to either one of the major sides. Uh, so, pick a side, pick a side. Yeah, so you either chose to, you could go with the United States and all the Western capitalist countries, or you could go with the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics or the USSR at the time, uh, and all the countries that um, lined up behind them, the communist countries or the Eastern side. So uh, that was the very, very beginning of what uh, the space race or what we know of the space race. Now, I think everyone that grew up in my generation knows of Neil Armstrong. Yes. We know that he was the first yes. man on the moon. Yes. And I, for a long time, until you informed me that, no, actually, there was a space race before Neil Armstrong Yeah. Um, to get a satellite, something so simple. Well, out. Well, actually, back then it wasn't simple, but um, a satellite in space. Yeah, so the, the space race... Um, we all think of it as uh, starting uh, around the late 1950s with the launch of Sputnik 1, which was the first Russian satellite. In fact, it was the first satellite into space. Um, but actually, the the, the whole um, concept of rocketry, uh, certainly modern rockets, I mean, the, the ancient Chinese had um, small fireworks and rockets, but they were not designed to obviously enter into uh, space. Um, and when we talk about space, there is a defined line called the Kármán line, which is approximately 160 kilometres above the Earth's surface. So that's where we say space begins. So um, just to, to quickly give you an idea, so we, we start off, uh, we've got the troposphere, which is where we live. Um, that makes up...
up the first seven and a half kilometres of our atmosphere. Then we go to the stratosphere. That's where our planes fly. Um, and that uh, makes up the next layer. That's the next 50 to, well, up to about 50 kilometres. Then after that, um, we start heading into uh, the thermosphere. So, uh, and, and this is where we start talking about where space starts. So the International Space Station is up there in the thermosphere. In other words, some junk. And some other junk is up there as well. So the aurora borealis happens in the thermosphere. Uh, so so that's where space is. So um, and and actually the the Germans when they were testing the V twos they actually did make it into space. They actually did make it into um, the thermosphere. Um, but uh, we don't consider them to be the first actual rockets into space because they weren't there long enough, um, hang on, hang on, hang and on. they didn't pass the Kármán line. Hang on, so what classifies as long enough? Well, there, there was basically they were just a device that went up there and came back down, but they didn't pass that 160-kilometre um, line that says that's where uh, okay. we consider space. But they actually got uh, quite yeah. high up. <laughs> there is actually... Yeah, they didn't explode. No, but it's quite <laughs> funny because um, there is uh, a, a, an urban legend of um, a manhole cover being blasted into space by accident. Yes, I've heard this, <laughs> but I don't believe it. So this is going back to August of 1957. So um, what happened, it was called Operation Plum Bob. And uh, what it was is that they were carrying, uh, the US was um, uh, un- undergoing or uh, carrying out underground nuclear tests. And what they did is that they decided to cap one of the vents and they even knew at the time, they said nothing is going to be able to hold back the explosive pressure. Sure. But they said, oh, yeah, no, well, let's do it anyway. So anyway, they welded down a 900 kilo steel cap. So this thing was almost a ton. Yeah. Um, and they welded it to the, to the open end of the exhaust vent. Anyway, when they released the nuclear bomb, this thing launched into space. Um, at a rate of two hundred and forty thousand kilometers per hour, so it it did literally it, just did it make it into space. Well, see, and that's where the urban legend comes from. People think that it made it into space, and at the speed that it was traveling, it would have gone into it, it would have left space, our right? orbit, and it would have just kept going into deep space. Yeah, but in fact, a lot of the scientists said, "Listen, anything traveling at that speed." Um, that wasn't designed to travel at that speed would have been vaporised as it went through the atmosphere. So, of course, so. It, would, it would break up <laughs> in a heartbeat. So uh, the space. So, <laughs> so getting back to Sputnik One, which is the question you asked. So that was back on uh, the fourth of October of nineteen fifty-seven. So it was the first artificial Earth satellite um, that was launched into low Earth orbit. Uh, it did pass the Kármán line. Awesome. Well done, Carmen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the Carmen Miranda line. I, I, every time I think of it, I always think of her with the fruit on her head dancing around. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just imagining a, a, someone in space going, oh, I wonder if this rocket should go. No, Carmen doesn't yeah, say so. Yeah. Just blow it up. Carmen from space says no. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, and we actually have a recording of the first Sputnik. Um, well, it, there was only one. Well, there was uh, only one Sputnik one. Sputnik one. one. Yeah, uh, but we actually have the the actual beeping sound that it made. Let's take a listen. Let's hope this works. Wow. 
We're not going to play all of it because that is a bit of annoying. But that's all it does. <laughs> <laughs> but the concept ASMR. was... Listen for that for now, people. We're out of here. Bye. Imagine that, leaving that on. Oh, gosh, that'll (laughs) rattle the fillings out of your teeth. Um, But the the thing was about it was that this is the first device that could um, orbit the Earth. And no one on Earth, not even the people who launched it, not even the USSR, uh, could stop it. Um, And so that's what... um, uh, well, you know, well, almost like, terrorized. Just like, just like you pause for dramatic effect. Yeah. I, 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 look, this this show is full of entertainment. <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to think. For, for a change. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. No one could stop this this from beeping. Well, the thing was is that at the time there was it was the first object to actually um, purposely orbit the Earth and transmit. And in fact, anyone who had a receiver could tune in and listen to that that beeping sound. Um, it's like anyone that has an iPhone or tablet can tune in and listen to us. Yeah, you know, so there are so many people who are just you know, desperately trying to listen <laughs> in on tonight's show and every other show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Look, so... But, but, but why that terrorised people? Sorry to interrupt you, but, but why that terrorised, um, especially the Western countries, was is that if they could do that with a satellite, they could do that with a rocket, and if they could do that with a rocket, they could do that with a bomb. What, make a beeping sound? No, they could have it go anywhere on uh, in the world and and so it it really was that um the the first point at which um the cold war that one party of the cold war so the 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 russians Russians, uh had the technology to deliver an explosive payload anywhere in the world and no other country could do anything about it yeah but that's firstly they had to get the payload to space to actually be able to bring it back down to earth it would most probably burn up on the earth's atmosphere but, but I guess they didn't know that at that time. But when you think of the science required, the mathematics required oh, um, to be able to, to launch something and not only launch it, but, you know, so... Well done, Russia. But, but it was also, they were, they were ahead. Um, yeah. and, and that's what sort of then really sort of pushed the space race. So, uh, What's interesting is that according to the screenshot I've got of this video that we were just listening to earlier, uh, it says URB spans US seven times a day. I take it they're talking about the the Sputnik one uh, was going around the yeah, so it orbited around the Earth seven times a day. Yeah, because that's very fast. It's very very fast. So to give you an idea of what that's not a still satellite we have like today. We have global positioning systems in space. Yeah, so um, they didn't have the egg canisters to stabilize it. Well, there, well there, there's multiple types of satellites. So there's geosynchronous, which is the ones that stay over a particular spot. Then there's ones that move around, um, just like your Foxtel. <laughs> they stay in, stay in the Optus. But, but so to give you an idea, though, uh, and, and why this was so um, terrifying slash revolutionary slash amazing was is that to launch anything into orbit, it needs to, um, when it leaves the launch pad, reach a speed of about 28,100 kilometres per hour um, just to get into orbit. Uh, and if we wanted actually, and then later on, like so with the, the Americans when they launched the Apollo missions, if we want to get something um, into actual space, uh, then that has to travel um, a lot faster than that. Uh, so 
It really was. How fast? Uh, <laughs> you just said a lot faster than yeah, that. I know. <laughs> and just, and I, I had it in my notes somewhere. Now I can't find <laughs> it for the life of me. Well, what we're going to do is, because you've re- been reading a lot, and a lot, there's a lot of information to get through tonight, we are going to take a quick break. Sorry, um, 40,000 kilometres per hour. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we've got more space for you on the other side of this. You're listening to Soundbites. Have you ever wanted to target just your location? Have you ever wanted to reach customers in your area? With AdStitcher, it's now possible. Geo-targeted audio advertising for radio and podcasts. DRN1, more independent music than anywhere else. The following program is rated M16+. Parental guidance recommended. And we are back. And yes, that warning is there because someone is missing in action. Um, <laughs> it has Who's shepherd. That, the shepherd? No, this is the first dog in space. But oh. before we get to that, we should just t- talk about Sputnik 1 just a little bit more because scientists are using the data that they collected. Is Sputnik 1 it's still not up there, is it? No, no, it came down. Okay, good. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Russia's not spying on us. No. Um, the US Well, is. they wouldn't do that with Sputnik 1. <laughs> it was a very basic satellite. But they used it, uh, tracking and studying Sputnik 1 from Earth provided scientists with valuable information uh, such as the density of upper the upper atmosphere uh, could be... Con- Thank you. I, I don't know where I got conduced from, yeah. <laughs> um, from its drag on the orbit. Um, and its propagation of its radio signal gave data about the ionosphere. Ionosphere, which is the... Um, well, it's made up of the thermosphere and the exosphere, so awesome. uh, which extends anywhere from uh, 160 to five, uh, 10,000 kilometres so, up. So, so I am going to guess that the Sputnik 1 also was able to tell them there's no oxygen in space. Well, yeah, they had figured that out. Okay, that's good. Because <laughs> we the, already knew that. The next, <laughs> the next one is for some reason they decided to put a dog in space. Like well, out of all the animals in the world, you chose a dog, and it's not just any dog. This was a homeless dog. Yeah, so basically they were home very quickly. Well, yeah, they were just street dogs, unfortunately, or homeless dogs. So, um, so uh, the first dog, Laika, was um, in orbit on Sputnik two. So they had actually increased the size of the satellite to be able to house the dog, um, and they put in a pressurized cabin, uh, and it was padded that it would allow enough room for Laika to be able to stand up and and sit down. Um, there was an air uh, regeneration system providing oxygen and there was food and water that was um, dispensed in a, a gelatinized form. Uh, but sadly, Laika was chained in place and was fitted with a harness. Now, this was also always going to be a one-way trip for Laika. Um, but they needed to know <sighs> yes. what environmental conditions they needed to have uh, to keep an organism alive in space. I understand that you have to sometimes do things that... A cruel to be kind. Let's be honest. Let's let's really think about this. And I, I know some listeners might disagree, and that's okay. But medicine has been tested on animals before yeah. we test it on humans. How is space any different? We had to send something up there. Well, yeah. Look, and I I think that um, you know, you, you you can intellectually sort of go, well, you know, we slaughter X amount of animals per year for food. We do experimentation on animals. We do all sorts of things. Um, so what does it mean that just one dog, you know, went up in space and 
did it for the all mankind type stuff. But this um, wasn't just one dog though. Like, okay, it's one dog of that we're talking about today. Yeah, but they sent three they th- in total. And wasn't there like twenty one dogs selected for the program or something? Yeah, they all had to be trained. They all had to be trained to be able to be calm and sedate during the whole uh, simulation of lift off or. Um, uh, and also just to sort of be able to sit calmly. Um, and, and in fact, the telemetry data indicated that Laika's vital signs uh, were normal for her first three orbits. Um, on, three orbits? Yeah, so when she was up in space, um, she orbited the Earth several times. So, um, good. yeah, good so well she, she was the first living creature to see the world with her own eyes out, uh, from you know, uh, ab- above the atmosphere, above the carbon line. Um, Carmen said yes. Carmen said yes on that one. Uh, <laughs> and, and what they had, they, so they hadn't, they weren't completely heartless. They knew that because it was going to be a one-way mission that the last amount of food that was going to be dispensed to her was actually poisonous. So oh. she would she would die quickly uh, and wouldn't have to suffer the, you know, the build-up of, um, you know, or the burning up in re-entry. That's one thing we've got to give Russia credit for. They know how to kill people very quickly. Especially with poisons. But that's a topic for another show. <laughs> Russia, we love you. We do love. Please don't <laughs> send anyone. Um, so, um, but but the the sad thing was is that uh, like it, um, her environmental system was not actually up to the task of keeping her alive. Really? Um, so, so she died of oxygen. Well, the temperature within the cabin started to increase um, beyond what the environmental system could deal with. Uh, And sadly, um, whilst um, she did remain alive for a couple of orbits, uh, she passed on the fourth orbit. So she didn't get her last meal? No. Um, Wow. But the good thing that – so some of the good things that came from this was that uh, after this flight, there sparked considerable ethical debates about cruelty to animals as – well, because it was with the full knowledge that when they launched Laika into space that, that they knew it was a one-way trip. Um, and, I, and I think one of the nice things that has come of it is a lot of people have actually named their dog after Laika. Yeah. So she has been remembered. And there is a, an actual statue to her uh, in the Russian Cosmodrome. But Did, we, we, I guess they don't do dogs in space no more. No, they send us now. They send people. So, <laughs> so um, We do have a clip here from uh, – we do need to warn you that some people may find this disturbing. Uh, this will be one of many disturbing clips that we play tonight. So here it is. Yeah, so this this is a recording of Laika's heartbeat as she orbited the Earth. Let's see if it comes through now. On November 6th, after Laika had been up there for three days, all seemed to be going well, and her heartbeat sounded like this. There you go. That's there's the heartbeat. Thank you for that audio clip. Yeah. So so we we uh, anyone who, as I said before, who had a receiver powerful enough to pick up these transmissions could actually listen in uh, as to what the Sputnik um, satellites were broadcasting. I should point out though that the USA did actually get a, a satellite in space as well, even though it was after the 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 Russians did, uh, and their first satellite was called Explorer One. And what was Explorer One's mission? To let the Soviets know that the US could also put a satellite into space. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk more about the space race. And uh, we will get to some Neil Armstrong in a little while. So stick around, stay tuned. You're locked on to Soundbites. DRN1, more independent music than anywhere else.
The following program is rated M16+. Parental guidance recommended. And we are back. Well, that was a, a nice little song from Eurovision this year. Adrenaline now. Yeah, so, from Sunit and uh, Flo Rida. Well, you need some adrenaline when you go into space, let's be honest. Oh, you're going to need a lot of adrenaline when you go into space. <laughs> so, let's continue this space race. All right, so the Russians are two, two for two so far. They've yes. put a satellite, and then they put the first uh, living creature in. I'm into surprised she's a monkey, though, realistically. Well, the US did. Really? Yeah, the US did. So, okay. But anyway, so the Russians again... Um, crossed the or well, uh, created another milestone in uh, September twelfth, nineteen fifty nine, when they actually um, landed the first spacecraft on the moon. So Luna one, um, sorry, yeah, so Luna two was the first spacecraft that was landed. Luna one sadly missed the moon. You would think it'd be a bit hard to miss it, but you'd be surprised. Well, actually, um, the moon is very very far. Like you can place all the planets in between Earth and the moon, and you will still have still room. have room. <laughs> so yeah, where did you hear that? I can't remember. On oh, sound bites, you wretch. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was watching a YouTube video. You weren't. You were listening to this show. <laughs> Don't make me angry. So anyway, so Luna Two. So this this uh, is, this was actually the first little rover, um, and it uh, transmitted back uh, telemetry of uh, and information to Earth regarding the Moon. Um, it. it yeah, so it just travelled around the the lunar surface. It was so it was it it, it was so how quite do we come a up feat. With the name Luna, though, because we know that the moon's lunar surface. But did they they did they know that at that time? Yeah, uh, Luna. I think I'm not sure the origins of the word Luna. I'm, 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 I think out. it might be Latin. I'm going to say Latin. I'm okay, sure it'll, I'll probably, I'll it. probably be wrong. It'll probably Greek. Um, so so okay. So whilst the the Soviets were still patting themselves on the back. With Luna Two, they actually then launched Luna Three onto the far side of the moon, so the the side that we never see because it's always either in darkness, uh, always facing away from us. So even though the pictures it returned were fairly poor, um, the, it was still the f- very first never before seen views of the far side of the moon. So the USSR uh, was really sort of um, getting ahead in the space race. Yep. Finally, though. The on the first of April on in 1960, the US launched Trios One, uh, the first successful low Earth orbit orbital weather station. So um, we we finally put uh, a satellite up there that actually did something more than just orbit and uh, either carry um, a life form or just transmit beeping noises. About time, us people. Yeah, so we were using that to to be able to predict the weather, uh, analyze weather patterns, that sort of thing. Sure. So Luna is uh, means moon in Latin. Ah, there you go. Something so, simple. Yeah, something so so yeah, simple. Yeah, but then, then uh, almost uh, well, yeah, just over a year later. The Russians shocked everybody by putting the first human into orbit. And this was Yuri Gagarin on Vostok 1. Um, so even though it was a short 108-minute uh, orbital flight, uh, it allowed him to circle the Earth uh, at least once, reaching a maximum height of 327 kilometres. Um, the spacecraft carried 10 days' worth of uh, provisions in case the engines failed, um, but uh, none of that happened. Uh, and when he came home, he was a hero. And he actually toured oh, the he world. Lived. Yeah, he did. <laughs> well, that was the idea. So, sorry, I thought that. <laughs> I actually thought the first human in space also died. No, no. I'm surprised by that. Well, that's why they sent the dogs and the monkey. And yeah, I still think a human should have died in space first. Okay, well, we'll leave that there because I can hear the 
human rights people gathering outside. This is the thing. At the end of the day, you're going to send something up to space. We Okay, maybe the technology wasn't there, but if we were doing this today with all the technology advancements that we have, we wouldn't send a creature up in space. We would send computer programs up in space. Oh, yeah, sensors. we'd have far more sophisticated... I mean, you've got to remember, back then... We were primitive. Well, te- technologically speaking, we were. You know, considering that from the very first Wright Brothers flight, at, uh, Kitty Hawk, to the landing on the moon... Only 66 years had passed. To give you an idea of the rapid increase in technology, it took 150 years for for man to create the first bicycle than it did to have a plane, an aeroplane, a heavier-than-air craft take off and land under human control. Hey, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. Yeah, so, I'm just, I'm just and back then, like, there is more power in your um, smartphone watch than there is in the computers that got the Apollo um, Rocket. uh, rockets and, and, and capsules to the moon and back. I wonder so. if this technology has increased or, you know, like got smarter now that Elon Musk can land rockets again. Yeah, so um, actually as an interesting side note, our pace at increasing our knowledge is also uh, accelerating. So what would take us, like the examples I just gave, it took us 66 years from going from powered flight to landing on the moon. Um, But if you go back 66 years, the next sort of major event going from bicycles to motor vehicles took longer than 66 years. But if you go back 66 years or 150 years from, say, 1800 to 1650, not much had changed. And the further you go back... To be able to impress somebody with your technological advances, you have to go back like three times the amount of um, years that have passed. Okay. So anyway, so sorry about that. Sidetrack. Sidetrack. So, uh, so then the US again um, decided that it was enough was enough. So they in December nineteen sixty two uh, sent the US Mariner, uh, and this was the second one that they sent uh, to collect data from Venus, and it took measurements of the um, temperature and atmospheric density. Uh, so this is the first time we actually studied another planet. Um, so then in 1963, the USSR sent the first female into space. So this is Valentina Tereshkova, and uh, she was on Vostok 6, and she's still alive today. So Good unfortunately, Yuri Gagarin has passed away, but Valentina uh, Tereshkova uh, still lives, and in fact, she has volunteered for a one-way mission to be one of the first people on Mars. Why would she want to be the one of the first people on Mars? She would be too old, would she not? I, it's a one-way mission, so she ain't coming back. I understand that, <laughs> but realistically, you're not going to send someone old. You're well, going to send someone young because... It's a bit ageist. Yes, I'm going to be ageist, but if I need to, for example, put someone on, on, uh, on Mars and get them to start doing things... I want them to live as long as possible, not as short as possible. Well, you know, for someone uh, with her resume of being a person who's travelled in space, there's not many people who've got that. So, um, you know, as being the first female into space, I think that uh, I think there'd be something nostalgic about her being one of the first people on Mars. But anyway, that's uh, Uh, okay. That's for whoever goes there. Are we going to put a graveyard on Mars too? Then eventually, we're going to have to. No, we just throw them in space. Okay. What's the, what's the atmosphere density to get Well, it would be a lot easier to throw them into space yeah. on Mars than it is on Earth. I don't know. I, I know that you can jump in on the moon and still land back on the moon, so... Oh, yeah. No, you'd need a lot more thrust to throw yourself into space you from have? the moon, yeah. 
It still has an atmosphere. Not an atmosphere. It still has a gravity. I still want to see someone try. See how close they can get. You know what? You might live to see it. (laughs) Not me. We're going to be heading back to the moon soon. Personally, I won't be doing it. Yeah, no, Um, we'll be heading back to the moon soon. It could be a new Olympic sport. How high can you jump? (laughs) (laughs) Pole vault yourself off the surface of the moon into space. (laughs) Okay, let's get back on topic. Yeah. So then in 1965, the very first spacewalk was performed by the Russians um, and uh, this was done by Aleshki Lenov uh, on Voshkod uh, 2. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, on Voshkod. Um, and this spacewalk lasted for 12 minutes. So this is the first time somebody left the actual confines of the space vehicle and just walked around in a space suit. So the question I have with that, though, and this is a very... Uh, interesting question i think people want to know is did they have an airlock system because the current model ones you can take your helmet off when you get back into the space station or, or into the capsule this one I, it most probably wouldn't have it he would be stuck or they would be stuck in their spacesuit. well they did have so they did have an airlock and actually, it's interesting you raise that whole concept because one of the problems was in one of the spacewalks, not this one, when they had a new design of the spacesuit, the Russians did, and when when the astronaut, or the cosmonaut, I should say, left the, the space capsule, what happened was is that the air inside the spacesuit... Expanded. Yeah, it pushed the suit out. So when he tried to go back into the airlock, it was... He, he, he couldn't. He couldn't fit. Uh, and he actually took the, the, the dangerous... Um, action of opening up a valve to let the air out as he pushed himself in and closed the space um the the door to this to space uh and then he had to pressurize the the space uh, the airlock so he could breathe wow ladies and gentlemen i don't think i want that job no space is dangerous folks don't go out there how do they fix that these days like they fix that with a new designer space yeah so space that 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 don't expand um with internal lycra stuff like that (laughs) Not lycra, that'd be the worst thing to you. No, I'm not sure how they'd, they'd have a different material. You need something that has absolutely no pores in it whatsoever. Oh, um, wow. So, uh, so anyway, so then uh, in 65, the US sent Mariner 4, which was the first spacecraft to send back pictures of Mars. So this is our first good look at Mars. So we were able to confirm that there was no actual water on Mars. There weren't little green men on Mars. Um, See, I told you we mentioned aliens tonight. Well, we actually knew there wouldn't be, but it was the first time we confirmed it. But we've sent a little micro bug to space too, like recently, China did it. We did what? Yeah, China. Okay, I'll tell you off air because it, I, I want to make sure I get it factual. Okay. But China <laughs> sent a microbe, like a bi- uh, some microorganism, uh, like yeah. a bug, out to Mars with them in on their rover. Did they? Yeah, I'll find it. Right, yeah, we'll have to check that. Space two. I hope coming. not because that's uh, you're not allowed to do that. But anyway, oh. um, you know it's China. They can do anything. <laughs> they well, can. They're not, yeah, they're not regulated. I mean, even though we have these conventions, yeah. let's be honest. Any country can do whatever they want. What's the world going to do to them? Nothing. Yeah, you know they're. Can always, they can, there can always be the UN outrage. But that seems to have achieved nothing in all these years of them being outraged about stuff. Absolutely. Okay, let's get back on topic. Anyway, so... Um, let's talk about... Um, I, I fast-forward a little bit because um, we talked about people walking on the moon... Oh, sorry, w- w- spacewalking. Um, and the... Uh, but there was a death in space as well. 
Well, on 24th of April 1967. Yeah, so this one uh, sadly marked the first death in space. So this is uh, on this date, Vladimir uh, Komarov of the Soyuz 1 uh, from the USSR. So this flight, uh, unfortunately, was plagued with technical issues and uh, Komarov was killed when the descent module crashed into the ground uh, due to parachute failure. Um, the original mission plan was complex and it included a rendezvous with Soyuz 2. So that would have um, been one of the first uh, rendezvous in space. So two craft coming together and people moving between the two spacecraft. Um, Did that actually happen? Uh, n- not on this have- mission, no. So, uh, But it did happen later on. So they planned it but didn't happen. It didn't happen, unfortunately. That's, that's not good. Um, so, but then uh, in... On the 24th of December, so this is Christmas Eve in 1968, uh, the US succeeded in sending the first humans to orbit the moon. So this was the first time we had sent human beings um, that far out. So when you think about Apollo 8 carrying Frank Borman, uh, James Lovell and William Anders, so these people had gone further than any other human being um, anywhere in the history of of our entire race. Um, And in fact, they are still one of only about 12 people who have ventured that far away from Earth. Uh, And it's, you know, when I I sort of think about it, it's quite... It's amazing. Amazing to to consider that that's that's as far as we have gone. But not only that, that only 12 people, approximately 12 people, I'm not, I think it's 12 people who have ever gone that far. Well, it's, it is interesting. What we're going to do right now, though, we are going to take a break because we need another break. And when we come back, we are going to take you on a journey through some sound bites um, from uh, John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy. He will be coming up shortly, so stick around. Stay tuned. This is Sound Bites. DRN1, supporting local artists from day one. The following program is rated M16+. Parental guidance recommended. And welcome back to Soundbites here on DR1 and DR1 United. Peter, we are talking about space tonight. Space we race. are the space race. So so very early on in the space race, So, the, uh, as you would have heard um, from our um, recount of the timeline, uh, the USSR got a very good head start right at the very beginning. And that... Um, inspired uh, President John F. Kennedy back in 1962 to make his famous uh, mission to go to the moon speech, which we've got a recording of. We do indeed, if I have it. We don't, we don't have the whole... Th- we won't play the whole thing because it goes on for about goes 18, for 18 minutes. minutes. Yeah. Here's a little bit of it. But just the main bit. Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic. Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. 
Well, there you go. That's John F. Kennedy yeah. speaking there to a big crowd of people as well. Yeah. So uh, from uh, funny enough, that's on NASA's web, uh, NASA's video. So yeah, uh, good on them, NASA, for keeping some history. Yeah. So that one was at um, Texas. Uh, University, uh, but he also made a very similar uh, speech uh, to Congress. So, uh, with regards to going to the moon, um, sadly, John F. Kennedy did not see the lunar landing. He was assassinated a few years beforehand. Um, but on the twentieth of July, nineteen sixty-nine, um, as everyone would know, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first men to walk on the moon on the USA's Apollo 11 spacecraft. And up in the uh, command module was Michael Collins, who was uh, making sure they got down to the lunar surface and back up again safely. Well, we have an audio clip from the Apollo 11 EVA television uh, system. So here it is. Getting back up to that first step. Uh, it's uh, not even collapsed too far. But uh, it's adequate to get back up. Right, here we copy. Pretty good little jump. Okay, Neil, we can see you coming down the ladder now. Okay, I just checked. Getting back up to that first step. Uh, It's... uh, that doesn't collapse too far, but uh, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Well, there you go. There's, there's a little bit. Well, that was a bit long. So yeah. that, was three, that was 58 seconds of my life. I won't get back. Oh. Oh, the last bit was very, very important. The, it was. was one small step for a man yeah. uh, and one giant leap for mankind. It's amazing how people have misquoted that so many times. So though. many times. Because, unfortunately, there was a dropout at the one small step for a man. Bad. Yeah, so everyone, when they listen to that, it's just it's one small step for man. Uh, but it's well, a man. So he was meaning one small step for me, but a giant leap for the entirety of our um, you know race. something? He was concerned about the um, step that apparently was buckled or bu- bent yeah, or something. So, so <laughs> uh, that's that's really dangerous when a little piece of metal bends in space. Uh, it can get onto your spacesuit. It could cut the spacesuit. It could it could well, ruin your life. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with things aren't done exactly right. So. Absolutely. But, and, and that sort of leads us on to the, the next part of, of this show. So really the lunar landing or the moon landing um, sort of signaled the end of the space race and not for any other reason other than um, from that point on, both the US and, and America, uh, sorry, the USA and the USSR started focusing more on um, orbital missions, so um, space stations, uh, that sort of thing. And in fact, the cooperation started increasing between the US and and, uh, the Soviet Union. Isn't Um, it interesting how they cooperated in space, yet they cannot cooperate on Earth? Well, you know, well... Well, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, a whole lot show that there. goes into the into the history of that. But what was fascinating was that at the time there were these two Italian brothers, the uh, Judica and uh, Cordelia brothers, um, and they were amateur radio operators. And what they were doing was that they were making all these audio recordings uh, of allegedly um, the space uh, program that the Soviets were running, um, and in particular they would um, record what they believed were 
deaths and failures of the USSR space program that were covered up by the USSR. So while the USA was very open about you know their successes and their failures, the USSR only ever broadcasted their successes. But if you were a government, you really wouldn't want the negative light. Even if you're a private company, you don't want negative light on you. You want positive light on you. Yeah, but I guess what it was is that... Um, what the uh, you signed the, up to to go to space? You, if you die, you die. Yeah, but what the USSR were doing was is that they were only promoting their successes, so they weren't even talking about you know the stages in between or yeah. anything that went wrong. Um, and so these two brothers, the Judica and the Cordelia brothers, um, they actually captured some recordings of which they believe were failures of the uh, the USSR space program. Uh, and one of the recordings we have, which um, We'll let we've you got, listen to. We've got it here. Uh, if I've got the correct one, this is a. Uh, uh, here, here it is. Let's take a listen. We're going to stop it right there because that is apparently a person, sadly, who... So, one of the, the um, brothers had a friend whose father was a cardiologist and when he listened to that recording, he said that that was the sound of a person dying in, or in the final stages of suffering a heart attack. Now, the um, the brothers said that this was um, recorded on February uh, 1961 uh, and they believed it was actually... Uh, well, they, they, they said it was recorded on the USSR space frequency uh, and it was on a day that there was no known space flights taking place. So this was a, uh, a Soviet um, space um, mission that had failed or the cosmonaut had um, uh, suffered... Had some health yeah. problems. So, wonder, which, which was never reported. I just wonder if... Because I've stopped it where you said to stop it. i uh, just kind of curious of what happens next. That's that's nothing. There's yeah. literally nothing. So okay. so then there's another recording that happens uh, a little bit later on. Um, yep. Yep. We got it. Yeah. You want to play now? Yeah. Play yeah. It. Let's yeah. have a let's listen. have a listen. Hang on, sorry, it should play the same one. Let me find it. Let's keep talking for a okay, second. Okay. So what this one was is that. Um, they, when they recorded this, the, the the thing was that they weren't sure how to interpret it or, or what it what it meant. Okay, so we do have it now. Have a listen. Okay, so that was just a bunch of noise in my ears. Yeah, so what they were saying was that those repeated um, signals or that, that uh, I don't know if you heard in the background, it was all like a, a bit of an alarm that just sort of kept playing. Um, they said, what, was that a, uh, a capsule or a rocket in distress? Was it uh, uh, someone trying to alert um, uh, the, the Soviets on the ground that there was a problem going on? Um, you know, it, what 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 for them? What they said it just wasn't some random sound, but it was actually something being recorded on the frequencies being used by the USSR space program. It does seem like there was a lot of analog signals being sent. Well, that's what ma- it mainly was back then. Like it, it doesn't sound like this data that's sending back is very unless you know what the data is meant to be. So, for example, if it's meant to be sending a one, it sounds like it. You really don't know what this data is. Unless you're on the inside. 
Well, and, and that's the thing. So that's what the, these um, brothers were doing. They were recording this stuff um, because they knew the Soviets were being really, really secret about anything that went wrong. Well, that alarm sounds just sounds like something. It sounds like a car alarm almost. Well, it could be, but they weren't car alarms back then. And on top of that, why would a car alarm be in space? Be <laughs> being transmitted on the USSR space. Who stole my spaceship? Yeah, but <laughs> a brand new show coming to TBS. But. One of their most popular um, yes. uh, recordings was um, this one that was actually um, yes was made in May 1961. Now, uh, now this one is a bit disturbing. So we do um, need to just warn you that if you are um, if if you get concerned about this recording, uh, there are support systems out there such yeah. as Lifeline thirteen eleven forty four. I think that's the number, uh, or Beyond Blue. Just Google them. Um, but we are going to play it in its uh, in its entire entirety. I can't yeah, pronounce the word entirety. So it it is. Um, it does go on for a couple of minutes, and there is uh, uh, a lot of it's repeated. So to just give you, a, um, and it's all in Russian as well. So unless you, uh, can if you understand Russian, Russian, please send us yeah. a message DRM One Live on our Facebook page yeah, but, or DRM One United. Um, but to give you an idea, what some of the main um, statements this lady is making. So she says, "Listen, listen, come in, come in, come in, talk to me. I'm hot. I'm hot." Yes, yes, yes. Breathing, breathing. Oxygen. Isn't this dangerous? Um, yes. How is this? What? Talk to me. How should I transmit? Um, our transmission begins now. I can see a flame. I can see a flame. Am I going to crash? Yes, yes. I feel hot. I will re-enter. I will re-enter. I am listening. I feel hot. Okay, so we are going to play this clip now.
okay and that we are back we are done with that clip yes um it is very long we apologize if you were a bit bored um that is an interesting clip in itself no you don't need help yes that man needs help but we don't need help um (laughs) try to take over over from our show yeah Um, so (laughs) he's probably more entertaining than we are (laughs) got a hard bar to pass but so yeah so this recording um now, the brothers had said that they had recorded that. Um, one of the girlfriends of the brothers who um, spoke Russian, she did the translation of that, um, uh, am I going to crash? Yes, I feel hot. I will enter. All that sort of stuff. Well, of um, course you're going to re-enter. You're in space. Well, see, this is the thing. So, and, and this actual recording is mentioned several times on, on quite a few different YouTube channels, people talking about it, uh, trying to look into it, trying to figure it out, what it is. Um but we've also had to look at it um, ourselves and uh, and some of the critics of this recording um, who have spoken out and sort of said, look, whilst it's um, – they're not 100% sure it's Russian because it's very, very garbled. So they said it well, – So they're trying to say it's US. No, they didn't say it's US. What they're saying is, is that it's very, very garbled. Um, they weren't sure that it's Russian. It doesn't follow any of the standard Soviet protocols for um, communication from uh, a space vehicle to um, the Earth. Then who is it? Where did it come from? Well, that's the mystery behind this recording. So we're not sure uh, where it comes from. Enc- they didn't have encrypted communication back then. Right. Sure. So you're just going to keep interrupting with questions. No, no. I'm just, I'm just curious because, like, to me, I'm like thinking, you, you're in space. You're right. The, you're the USSR, right? Yeah. You would think, at least I would think, that they had Morse code back then. They had other technologies back then. To just send plain audio and allow, because they knew people were recording this. Surely, like, well, they knew that they they could be intercepted. So, so surely, if they're they're a very smart country, they're very very smart scientists. Uh-huh. Surely, they could encrypt it in some fashion, like with beeps, for example. Yeah, but it wouldn't take long for other people to figure it out. I mean, yeah, no, you're right. Mo- there. Most codes have been broken, apart from the um. What was that? That book we covered. Oh, that uh, was really really hard code. The Voynich manuscripts. Yes. We um, still haven't cut. No, but what it was is that we're not actually sure that it was coming from space. Just because these fellows were picking it up doesn't mean that it came from space. So they got to control the entire narrative of this recording. Yep. Um, so they, they sort of said, well, you know, um, we believe it was this. Uh, we believe it was a Rus- Russian female cosmonaut in distress. We believe that she died on reentry. But in fact... When we look at what the uh, the Americans, the Canadians, the Germans, the British and the French, they all had the ability to pick up these um, recordings as well. And sure. none of them, none of them um, recorded anything like this. And they certainly didn't record any launches from the USSR on the date that um, the brothers claimed uh, this recording was made. So... And, and on top of that, the the all those countries had far more sophisticated and more powerful um, radio equipment than what these um, brothers did. Uh, and then on top of that, as well, um, is is that uh, because it was in the middle of the Cold War and it was a propaganda war. If this really did happen, if this woman did die in space or was um, uh, died during reentry, then they one day if they had the equipment to pick it up and, and monitor it and two they would have made it front page news so everyone would knew of 
um, the USSR's failures. So when it was listened to by native-speaking Russians um, to translate it, they did not come up with a similar translation. Uh, In fact, they said that it actually sounded like, whilst it was extremely garbled, they said of the words they could make out, um, so instead of the phrases, isn't this dangerous, I am hot, talk to me, they were actually phrases like, okay, I will transmit, um, don't give up and return or come back. They said that it didn't, uh, th- those sorts of phrases were more like an instructor giving them, so giving them to somebody else, than someone in distress saying, I'm in trouble. Um, so we don't know whether this was a lost cosmonaut. Um, you know, all we have is this one recording uh, and, you know, their translation as opposed to other people's translations. Um, it's interesting because, like, now that you yeah. said a person in training, for example, they wouldn't send the signal to space and then back. Yeah. But and they could have. And so the thing was as well is that, as I said, the, the, the brothers themselves, um, they controlled the narrative. So um, we only have their word for the fact that it was recorded on the USSR space frequency, but who was there to verify that? Um, so um, when I first heard this recording, and I heard it several years ago, uh, and I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? And I, and I often thought of this distressed woman who could have been um, dying on re-entry and, you know, uh, you know, how could she just be forgotten, you know, making that sacrifice, you know, for, you know, That's scientific endeavours. But the reality is, is that... Possible. Yeah, she could have just been, you know, someone transmitting flight instructions to a student in a aeroplane, a little light aeroplane. But I see, f- oh, I guess, yeah, I see flames, I see flames. Could be an engine failure. No, but that's the trans- That's the original translation from the person who claimed they could speak Russian, whereas the people who who reinterpreted it said, well, we don't hear that. Is this lost in translation? It could be. Well. Why not? Well. So, anyway, so that's that, that was the early years of the space race. So, I sort of think that it was a very interesting time for yes. humanity and what we were achieving. And... We certainly did a lot in those years, and a lot of people have sort of been very critical about it, sort of said, well, we spent a lot of money, but what did it really get us? But actually, a lot of technology that was developed for the space program uh, has been used here on Earth. It's interesting, because I'm just reading page seven of the very last episode. It says, other evidence that was confirmed by USA intelligence is that the first women to enter the Russian space program were not selected until February 1962, nine months after the recording of the supposed female cosmonaut and the mysterious recording. Yeah, so as as far as they knew... Oh, sorry, the US... A. Yeah, so there was a lot of spying going on on each uh, on each side. Wouldn't you as NASA? Uh, sorry, wouldn't you as Russia? Let's say it did happen. Now, let, let's say yeah. that you, you want to boast about it now because it's like, oh, that's part of our history. We sent the first women to space, and the USA can't claim that. Well, they already had that with um, Valentina. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So um, they don't need to highlight the first female death in space. Yeah. Um, well, no. I don't think that they wanted to broadcast or publish that. Um, right. Yeah, but, you know, it, it, it was a very, very different time. And because it was the Cold War and it was a war of propaganda, that's why they were so secretive about the things that didn't go right. I mean, there's even a recording from these brothers about um, 
and, and, and SOS, so the Morse code that you mentioned earlier, it was actually used. Someone was transmitting a Morse code. And when the brothers uh, analysed that Morse code, they were saying it was, it was based on the, the um, information that they could pick up from the Morse code and, and the direction in which it was coming from. They said it was a Morse code, a distress call of a, of a space vehicle actually going out from earth into deep space so they and they they made the statement that um what it was is somebody who uh, had been sent into orbit um didn't achieve orbit in fact they just kept going and who knows where they are today but hang on, hang on. you're saying they left the yeah and they've gone off into deep well that's what their claim their claim was is that and and because it was a uh the the uh, SOS was not automated, so that you know they said the spacing was random. Uh, so it was literally um, someone sitting there typing out SOS, SOS, uh, as they were being flung off into space. It's interesting because, but but, but the evidence doesn't support that because oh, that's a shame. I was kind of hoping it did. Why? That somebody was <laughs> <laughs> not on purpose. I'm not like people listening to this is going to say Russell's not, like wow, a, yeah. a really harsh person. No, the reason why I'm saying that you kind of wish it it happened because then it would be part of history, and that would explain why today's crafts are fitted with air canisters or something along those lines to actually be able to push the craft back to orbit if it fell out of orbit. Well, see that's but see that's the. I think that's a misconception because I don't know if you remember right at the very beginning of the show, to achieve orbital velocity, you have to be travelling at 28,100 kilometres per hour. But if you want to leave our orbit, so if you don't travel faster than that, you will actually fall back down. Back down. Um, unless you can maintain your orbital uh, flights where you just keep orbiting us. But if you want to leave our um, gravitational field, you have to be travelling at 40,000 kilometres per hour. And we had nothing that could do that at the time that they said this SOS was being sent. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So if someone had been flung out into orbit and missed orbit, if you want to call it that, what would happen is, is they'd actually come back and they would re-enter and burn up or if they it was a controlled re-entry then they would land um oh, you would cr- you could crash crashing is okay yeah crash parachute land. as long as your parachute opens as we've seen t- <laughs> during tonight's show that sometimes the parachute doesn't open and sometimes no, sometimes you do always. come crashing back to earth okay on that note we are wrapping it up now because we are over time as <laughs> well, I think it was a good show. It was a good show. Our listeners well, seem to like it. Yeah. Um, don't forget, if you want to get in contact with the show, all you need to do is follow DRM One United on Facebook um, and send us your message. We may be doing a space too, I think. Yeah. Um, because uh, you know what I really want to, f- and I know it's kind of sad, but it was the Russian, uh, not the Russian, the US school teacher who went oh. to space or was on about Challenger. to go to space. And unfortunately, that's a Challenger disaster. Um, we had a few disasters in the NASA program, uh, but they're back at it again with Elon Musk and Boeing and uh, what's his name? Bezos's company yeah, as well. Jeff Bezos. They're all doing the space race, and Australia's got in the space race. So Richard Branson as well. Uh, yep. His... Is this space race three or is this space race? <laughs> well, it you know, in a way, we are looking at the second space race because we've now got some new players. Uh, on the scene, so it's no longer just uh, America and Russia. 
Um, in fact, you've got the Chinese who are making rapid progress in the space game. Um, and a lot more countries now have space program so you have the european space union you have jaxa which is the japanese um space program um india uh china i mentioned china uh new zealand has a much more advanced space program than australia does we are slowly catching up um but uh, yeah and we also saw the first um um saudi arabian um orbiter and and i think lander um to mars last year as well or very early this year it should just be noted as well that, according to the BBC, on the 29th of April 2021, China launches the first module of space station. Yeah, because they're not allowed to join the International Space Station. But it's an international space station. Yeah. It's meant to be it's an international as, treaty. It's not as international as uh, people think it is. So it was oh. actually the US who banned the Chinese from the International Space Station. Why? Um, because of the whole war on Russia? Well, I don't think so, China? not because um, there, there are Russian modules on the International Space Station. Um, but Ch- China and Russia get along quite well. Well, yeah, they do. So um, could, not, could China not just join on to the back of Russia? Like, well, like you know, like, like okay, you're not touching our modules, for example. <laughs> but Not very international <laughs> then, is it? But you're right, it's not international at all, you know. Um, oh, it's, but China astronauts have been in the space station. International Space Station, haven't they? I don't believe they have, no. Well, well, according to, um, and we'll have to fact check this another time, but apparently uh, the Russia, sorry, the Chinese um, have a space program has sent 11 astronauts, including two women, into space beginning with Yang flight in October 20, uh, 2003. The first female astronaut was Li Yang in 2012. Yeah, so they, they, they've definitely got their own spacecraft. Uh, and in fact, they're dev- designing and developing their own reusable rockets. So they're... they're they hacked Elon Musk, didn't they? Well, it wasn't hard. Well, I shouldn't say it wasn't hard. It was incredibly hard. But once you've already got a template... Um, you copy and paste. Yeah, you sort of can follow that. One, it, it's, one of, it's that old saying, it's impossible until somebody does it and then it's easy. You yeah. Know? And Elon showed us that you can reuse your um, space vehicles. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of Soundbites for a, another week. Uh, I've been Peter. I've been Russell. <laughs> I'm taking you now. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still Peter. <laughs> Sorry, I'm already taken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a, that's a way to end the show, isn't it? I am Russell. That is Peter. Peter, thanks for joining us, as always. Thanks for doing all the research you do. Yeah. And, and yeah, we will do a part two. We will do a part two. Yeah, yeah. 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 We just got to decide what part of the space race we want to do. So we'll we'll start with the cooperation between the US and the Soviets, um, okay. and then we'll talk about the orbiters, um, the, um, the the space shuttle, and the Russian version, which is the Buran. Okay, I I would have thought we would just go billionaires race to space. No, we'll leave with the billionaires <laughs> and all their various ambitions from space hotels to Mars colonies. What ever happened to Atlantis? The, the idea of building an underground or underwater hotel. That was some billionaire's idea at one stage. I'll find some information. I'm sure there is one of those in the Middle East somewhere. Maybe. They, they've got some fascinating hotels over there. Them too. Anyway, if you want to listen to all, any of our podcasts and any of our side talks that we do, head over to drm1.com.au and click on Shows and then scroll down to Soundbites and we are there. Or you can find us on iTunes Podcast, Spotify, 
or any of the good podcast apps as well. Until next week, this has been Soundbites. Bye for now. Bye-bye.